Praise the Lord and thank you, worship team. And magandang magapo to everyone in the house and online and streaming with us or even watching the recording. It might even be a different time of day for you. Greetings from the Lord to you. Pastor Henji likes me so much that he just wants to join me on the platform one more time. I don't mind. He looks good today. He looked like he was going to go caroling with the hat and the scarf and everything. I like it. it. It's the most wonderful time of the year. You hear that song at this time, right? And we are looking forward to wonderful things. The, uh, the Christmas party next week, as mentioned, will be indoors. So you can still dress like it's outdoors, like Pastor Henry, if you want to. And you can look festive and seasonal that way, but you'll be a, a little bit warmer. A little bit warmer here inside, and we are looking forward to that uh, time of gathering with you, as well as other events in this season. The most wonderful time of the year. Even as Pastor Henji was talking about just a few moments ago, it's a time in which we are reminded of the arrival of Jesus in our world. And it's also a time in which, in our world, the focus turns to Jesus in a way that is not typical of all the rest of the year. If only it was. It should be for us. But for many people in the world, Jesus is not somebody that they think about at any time other than perhaps at Christmas. And you know, even if there are people who really don't know who Jesus is and really don't understand what he did, one thing remains true. Jesus does come to our world again every year on December 25th in the fact of Christmas, in the celebration of Christmas. All around the world, wherever Christmas is even acknowledged, there is a presence of Christ in that acknowledgement that is worth celebrating, that is worth honoring on our part. But if we are to be his followers, then we must ensure that that spirit of Christmas, that spirit of Christ, is not just in us on December 25th or December 24th or the days of Advent anticipating and leading up to that holiday, but every day, in every way. And that's a challenge, isn't it? And in fact, sometimes in the most wonderful time of the year, it can be a special challenge for us as believers because in this Advent season of waiting, we are often also in a hurry. Have you been in a hurry at any time in this week? I have. I feel like I've been in a hurry every day this week, and I wondered, maybe, Lord, you're trying to speak to me because I know I have this message to bring from you about patience in a hurry because I said that I've been in a hurry almost every day this week. I didn't say that I was patient in it, did I? Because I wasn't. I really wasn't very patient this week. I, yeah, Hazel agrees. Uh, I was struggling with that because of deadlines and demands and so many things that need my attention in so many different fronts, things at home and things at the church, things of family and personal things. I didn't get in the exercise I was supposed to get in this week. I got the food in, but I didn't get the exercise in. I got well-fed by the couples last night at our couples gathering. Thank you, yes. So if I look just a little bit bigger today, it's, I'm a little bit better because of the love of the couples and all their good cooking. I didn't get everything done on my to-do list. Yesterday, in the, the last of our uh, Spiritual Gifts prayer group meeting that we will have this year, Saturday mornings, we're doing that from 10 to 12. You can join us when we start up again the first uh, Saturday in January, January 7th. We'll be there again. But yesterday, 
uh, in that uh, prayer meeting, I was sharing how I'm a person that likes to have a list and check the boxes off. That's done, that's done, that's done. And the open boxes make me anxious because I keep thinking about those things that need to get done. And as the clock is ticking and the deadlines are passing, who has it? There's somebody that said, uh, I don't remember who, who this quote is attributable to, but they said, I love deadlines. I love the sound they make as they whiz by. <laughs> There's anxiety and tension and stress that is not unusual in this season. In fact, I just read a report this week, not even looking for it, this just happened to filter into my view, that sadly enough, December 25th is notable not only for the fact of the celebration of the birth of Christmas, of Jesus at Christmas, but also because it is the day with the greatest number of cardiac arrests in the year. More people have a heart attack on Christmas Day than any other day. And, and the medical experts aren't exactly sure why. They suggest that perhaps the cold weather and the constriction of blood vessels uh, feeds into it. But in the southern hemisphere, it's also true. There was a study done in New Zealand where it's summer on December 25th. Here in Los Angeles, you may think it's cold, but by the standard of a lot of the rest of the country, we have relatively mild winters. And yet, that incidence of higher rate of heart attack occurs here in Los Angeles as well. Probably one factor is that people are eating differently, and people are indulging a little bit more, and people may be traveling and less prone to attend to their health. So just a word to the wise, a little bit of fatherly counsel from the father of the, of the congregation, as it were. The pastor reminds you, take care of yourself in this season. If something's feeling wrong or you're not feeling well, go get it checked out. Let us know. We'll pray for you. But see your doctor. Pay attention to your body. Get rest. Have a little bit of downtime. The Lord calls it a Sabbath. Be sure you're taking good care of yourself. In this season, there's so many things that we have to take care of, we might forget that. And probably part of it also is just with all the emotions and all the events, there can be a lot of stress. We like to think of Christmas time as a time of peacefulness, silent night, holy night, we all love the uh, courier and Ive prints of, uh, of yesteryear, of a 19th century Christmas in Vermont. People ice skating as though they've got not a care in the world. People sitting around cozy fires, drinking cocoa and marshmallows, or however you take it. But the reality is that many of us experience something rather different in this season. Pressure, hurry, long lines, traffic on the roads, parties to plan, meals to prepare, wrapping, decorating, guests, bills, the expense. How much are you putting on that card? How much are you draining out of the account? And there can be many other things. As we've talked about throughout this series, there's interactions and relationships that can come to the fore in this season as being particularly challenged. And all this tumult and turmoil can even communicate to our souls. Sometimes in this season, that's supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year, some people may feel like it's the most difficult time of the year. And even people who are enjoying it may find themselves challenged because all of this activity and urgency and deadlines is not necessarily conducive to the simple, peace-filled, submitted, and attentive lifestyle of spiritual preparation that we've been focusing on in this series. 
and that the Lord is really calling us to in this season. The reason for this season is Jesus, but not just to celebrate Jesus, but to receive him. We've already talked about how Mary said, let it be done to me. And that phrase, that sentiment, that spirit, that is the spirit of Christmas that says, let him come to me. Let him come into me. Let Jesus be incarnated in me. And that's where patience is found. It's found in Christ. So if, like me, you find yourself challenged because of deadlines or because of tasks or because of anything, to find the place of peace and patience, remember, you find it in him. Come to the baby of Bethlehem. Come to the one who was in the cradle, who hung on the cross, who rose from the grave, who sits on the throne, and who says, I'm coming again. And while we recognize that's a real promise about a real point in human history and a real recognition of our ultimate destination in terms of our lifespan, it's also a promise personally to you this Christmas. Jesus saying, let me come and make Christmas in your heart this year. Let this season of preparation, of waiting, be a time of receiving of receiving Jesus into all of the situations and circumstances of your life, into the pressures, into the urgencies, into the concerns. Make your concerns known to Christ and make your heart open to him. And let the Lord reveal to you his nature, his character of patient, humble submission. Jesus came to be born as a little baby that had to be wrapped in cloths like a diaper. Jesus came to be born in a humble, mean circumstance of a stable meant for animals. He came to be born to a young woman who was probably still in her teen years. To two human beings who were not perfect and were not sinless. They were righteous in as much as they opened their hearts to the Lord and they patiently trusted the Lord. And as we'll see today, they submitted themselves not only to the Lord, but to the authorities that the Lord had arranged over them. They lived a life of reverence and obedience, but also of courage. And when it came time to act and act quickly, they were ready to move with the urgency that came from God, an urgency born not of anxiety, not of fear, not of worry, but of purpose, of that peace-saturated perseveringly patient purposefulness of God that they knew that God had spoken to them and they believed what God had said and they said let it be we'll be on the way with God we will go in the direction that he gives us to go we will be patiently submitted to his perfect plan even in trying circumstances even under extremely pressing conditions and if you doubt that those conditions were pressing today's message is to help remind you or maybe bring you to the attention of it for the first time that they indeed faced great hardships and things that would put any person in a in a mindset of concern if not outright fear and yet the evidence of the scripture is that they trusted in the lord it's not that they didn't have any fear and it's not that they didn't have any cause for concern it's that they had a patient trust in the Lord that came from the Lord.
God wants to guide his people. And he particularly wants to guide us in those situations in which we may be most prone towards anxiety or confusion, dangerous, uncertain situations. And we see that in the Christmas story. We've already seen it in ways that people were led and guided in surprising fashion, in ways in which God did miraculous things that couldn't have been rationally anticipated, but they were received with a rational and yet also an abiding faith. And so we're going to look at more instances like that, particularly in the story of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and her travel with Joseph, her husband, and also the shepherds of Bethlehem, who got drawn into that story by an angelic visit of their own. So we're talking today about patient submission. Will you say that phrase? Patient submission. Submission means to acknowledge the authority of someone or something that is rightfully over you. An authority that has a right role of uh, guidance, direction over you. And you submit to that authority because you respect that authority. Of course, what we're talking about most primarily in this story and in every sequence of our lives is submitting to the authority of God. Because what God says is every other human authority, in fact, every other authority of any kind in creation, whether it's the power of electric magnetism or the power of gravity, all of those powers and every kind of authority in the spiritual realm, in the natural realm, is all under God. It's created by him, and he is orchestrating all things together for the good of his plan and his purpose. He assures us through the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 8 that he, God himself, will work all things together for good to those who love him, who trust him, who are submitted to him. In other words, by being submitted to the Lord, it's not that we come under the authority of God as though we're not already under it. It's that we come into harmony with the authority of God. You can't escape the authority of God. So if there's somebody out there today and they say, well, I don't know if I believe God and I don't know that I bow to that and I don't know that I submit to that. You can make your choice about what you believe, but you can't make a choice about what is real. And that's something that we need to be reminded of in these days. The relativism of our era has suggested that actually we have enough creative capacity and determination to decide what is and isn't. And we can decide what's good or what's bad. The reality is what we can do is we can decide what we believe, but we don't get to decide what's real. There is a reality that exists outside of us as well as within us and all around us, and that's creation. It's the reality of God. And God himself is the reality out of which all other reality flows. And so the reality of that truth is everyone is under the authority of God, but not everyone is submitted to that authority. Submitment, submission, is an avenue of blessing. It's a way to experience the goodness of God in a harmonious reception in your own life. And this is surprising because it often calls us into conflict with the world around us, or he often calls us down a road that doesn't look like the way that we want to go. In fact, the implication of Scripture, sometimes even the specific statement of it is that 
Indeed, God tests us that way. That God looks to see how genuine is your love for me? Because obedience is really the evidence of love. And obedience requires submission. But one who is submitted will begin to experience the blessing of obedience. It doesn't mean that you and I don't struggle with that, even if we love the Lord and even if we are committed to following him. We do struggle with it. The flesh struggles. Our spirit in the Lord is willing, but the flesh is weak in the ways of submission to God. And so God himself came in the flesh as a baby to teach us submission. And no wonder then that Paul writes to the Philippians in chapter 2 of that letter, let this spirit that was in Christ be also in you, who did not try to grasp and lay hold of his authority as God, as the Messiah, but rather laid down his privileges as God, laid down into the womb of Mary, laid down into the cradle of Bethlehem, laid down his life at the cross of Calvary, so that we could learn just how blessed human submission is when it is anointed in the spirit of Christ. We want to be like Christ, and only Jesus can do that by his spirit. So, let him do it. Let it be. Mother Mary comes to you and says, let it be. In times of trouble, Mary, Mother Mary comes to you. Maybe some Beatles fans are recognizing a line here. You know, Paul McCartney didn't write that about the Virgin Mary. He wrote it about his mother, Mary, who had died when he was young. And he had a dream. And in the dream, he saw his mother. And she said to him, let it be. He was worried and struggling about things in his life. And the dream mother said to him, let it be. And he wrote a song about it. It's a beautiful song. But the fact of the matter is that Mary, the mother of Jesus, did say precisely that. Let it be. And while Paul McCartney might not have been aware of the fiat mihi when he wrote that, the Lord is. Mary wasn't just saying, let whatever happened, happen. She was saying, let the purposes of God be in me. Let it be done to me. Your will be done. That's the beginning of submission. It comes from a reverent fear of the Lord that says, I want to go God's way. All of a sudden, another song occurs to me. Maybe some of you remember that song that said, are you going to go my way? <laughs> what I really want to know is, are you going to go my way? And that song was meant to be an expression of Jesus saying, are you going to go my way? Are you going to follow my way? You see, you have a choice. You can say, let it be my way. I did it my way. I'm thinking of all the songs today. Frank Sinatra. <laughs> or let it be God's way. Now, when we want it our way, we often get into that place of anxiety. We talked about this even last week. I've got to get it done my way. I've got to get it done according to my time. Even if it's a time that somebody else gave me, I want to fulfill that standard or that deadline. And the anxiety and the fear can rise up within us. But the difference is when we say to God, let it be, and we have clarity about God's purpose and guidance and direction, and we know the way that he is guiding us, then there is peace. That doesn't mean, however, that it's slow. There are times where God says, I want you to wait. And patience manifests in the waiting. And we've been talking about that a lot, not only in this season, 
but in this year. But I want to remind you that sometimes patience is required when God says, now go and go in a hurry. Get on the way and get going. And the patience of that can be that you don't feel ready to go or you're not sure that you want to go that way or maybe that you're not sure you're going to be able to sustain. And so patience becomes a part of persevering because if we know that God has called us, we also know that he will equip us. He who begins the work is also the one who finishes it. He's the author and the completer of it. So let us go. And when God says, go and go now, act now, do it today, don't wait, then do it in that moment. Too many of us delay too much of God's blessing in our life because we say, maybe I will do that, maybe later. Not today, but tomorrow. But tomorrow's not promised to you. We're going to be talking next week about patience in the present. And the present is what you have. But the gift of God is if you act now when he tells you to act now, and if you wait when he tells you to wait, then you will have the blessing of God through the patient submission of your life and lifestyle. So let's look at these three ideas as they pan out in the narrative of Mary becoming pregnant, of Mary and Joseph traveling to Bethlehem, and of the angels, in Be- excuse me, the shepherds in Bethlehem receiving a call to hurry to the stable that comes from the angels of God. First, Mary's messenger, the angel Gabriel, the same angel who had come to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, and told him that his wife Elizabeth, Mary's cousin, would bear a child. This angel also came to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, and he comes to this virgin Mary, betrothed to Joseph, who is a descendant of David. What we know from the full story of the birth of Jesus available to us throughout the Gospels is that both Mary and Joseph were descendants of David. We're going to talk about another baby born in Bethlehem next year, by God's grace. As we move into the spring season, I'm going to bring a continuation of our study in the books of Samuel, and we're going to talk about the blessed boy of Bethlehem. In this instance, not Jesus, but Jesus' ancestor. Imagine how amazing that is. David, who was king of Israel. And so Bethlehem is the city of David. It's where David was born. And it is where the Messiah was to be born as well. We saw that a couple of weeks ago from the prophecy uh, that was um, uh, noted in the book of Micah, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, the city of David, and would be a descendant humanly of David. So both Joseph and Mary are descendants of David, and that will become pivotal to what happens next. But first, the angel's message, the annunciation. The angel comes to her and says, greetings, you who are highly favored. You blessed one, basically. The Lord is with you, Emmanuel. Mary was troubled, though. Sometimes when God gets really close to us and his message really starts drilling into our life, even though it's a message of good news, our reaction might be one of fear or confusion. Because what God does is so much bigger than what we can imagine. Because what God does is often different than what we might have expected. And because what God does challenges us, stretches us, grows us uses us in the best way, bringing us to the fulfillment, the fruition 
of our purpose and possibility as a human creation of his. And so Mary was troubled, but the angel comes to comfort her. Don't be afraid. In fact, in this instance, it's not Mary that is yet saying, let it be, but in a sense, the angel saying to her, don't worry, let it be. It's good. It's God. God has a good plan for you. And it's this, you're going to conceive and give birth to a son. You're going to call him Jesus because Jesus means in its Hebrew origins, salvation comes from God or God saves. What a perfect name for the son of God, our savior. Remember every time that you say Jesus, you are declaring that the one and only God, the Yahweh God, the I am God, the covenant God of Israel, the maker of all the cosmos saves. And the way that he saves is through his own incarnation, Jesus Christ, who is God, who is savior, but who came as a human being to model humility and submission to the will of the father and to show us the fullness of the spirit and to make us available to that fullness as well as to promise us and afford us eternal life, resurrection life. No wonder he's called great. He'll be called the son of the most high. Here the angel is saying to Mary something that is really even revolutionary within the Jewish theology of her time. He's saying this Messiah will be called the son of God. He is reflecting, the angel Gabriel is reflecting the divinity of Jesus in this statement. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. That's the messianic throne of Israel that is promised and prophesied in the scriptures to be God's throne for ruling the world through his appointed anointed son, Jesus. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Hallelujah. But how can this be, Mary asked the angel, because I'm a virgin. It's a pretty big obstacle. How can I possibly give birth? The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. God wants to overshadow you. Not so that you can conceive Christ. That's already been done. It's not your assignment. And I don't think anyone could have done it better than Mary. God knows best. But... God does want to birth Christ in you again in the spiritual nature of that statement. In other words, he wants you and I as followers of him. And if you're not a follower of his, this is what he's inviting you into. He's inviting you into a situation in which you invite him in, in which his life comes into you and his grace and blessing and patience, and peace, and purpose, and power is visible and evident in you. And the character and nature of Christ, his wisdom, his kindness, his authority, his humility, his miracle praying power, his miracle working power, his resurrection life is in you not ensconced in some kind of tomb, but flowing like a river, growing like a vine, fruitful in its branches, in which the kingdom is not only known in you, but grown through you and shown through you so that others would see Christ 
in you the hope of glory. And they would ask for an explanation and you would be ready to give it. And you would point people to God and you would say, hurry, hurry to Christ and make your submission to him today. Make the invitation to him who's already invited you. To be a real witness of Christ, you need to be reflecting him. He's got to be in you. But if Christ is in you, your witness will be powerful because he is powerful. You don't have to be powerful. You can be weak. His sufficient grace will be more than enough. He will use your weakness and mine to demonstrate his greatness. Your weakness will be an even greater window into his greatness. And it will confound the enemy and turn the world upside down because the world's already upside down and God wants to set it right. And he wants to do it through Christ in you. So let it be. Let the Holy Spirit overshadow you. If it doesn't scare you, you're not thinking deeply enough about what is being said because it means you give yourself over to God. You have authority over your life. You might not feel like that. You might think that you are in the sway of all these other authorities, your boss, the IRS, the government, the police, I don't know what. You may even see yourself under my authority, and I'm grateful if you do, because if you're a member of this church, that's part of my responsibility, is to be faithful to the Lord in serving you in that regard. But remember this, you get to choose what you think. You get to choose what you say. You get to choose what you believe. You get to choose what you do. Now, you can take all of that, and that's you, and you can give it to God and say, overshadow this. You can submit yourself to God. Do you know that that's a gift? Because if God didn't want you to be able to do that, you wouldn't have the power to do it. You can submit yourself to God, but you cannot require anything of God. I can't either. We don't have that power. You can say, well, I demand this and I demand that. Demand all you want. But by what power can you grasp it? Satan tried to grab that power. And Satan is strong, but not strong enough. God is greater. So even the fact that you and I have the opportunity to give our lives to God is an evidence of God's gift to us. And the fact that we know anything of God and that we have an open invitation from him, and that in Christ we have open forgiveness in the shed blood of Christ. These are gifts beyond compare, almost beyond expression. Suffice it to say, there's no greater gift that could be given than the life of Christ by which you and I can be saved. But salvation is not just checking the box that says, when I die, I go to heaven. In fact, if that's all you know of salvation, it's very possible that you don't know salvation at all. There must be more than that because the kingdom is at hand right now and Christ didn't come to fill the guest list of a meaningless party he came to fill the soul of every person with the meaning of God's purpose, which is life, everlasting, abundant, fruitful, 
wise, righteous, bathed in the truth, in the light of the truth, in the light and the power of love, God's love. Let God's love overshadow you. Let his love shine a light on whatever you're holding back on the, any place that you have that you say, I can't give that to God, it's not possible, it's not wise, I'm not ready, I'll do it tomorrow. Today, let the Lord shine his light into that place in your life and submit it to him and watch the power of God unleash and unravel and unroll in your life. Let him pull off the ribbons of that package and bring forth the glorious golden goodness of him in you you'll never be able to predict what he will do in you some of you think I couldn't lead anybody to Christ yes you absolutely can but you need to be walking with him in order to do that you can't lead someone to Christ if you're not following Christ yourself at least you can't do it well some of you think I don't have the power to pray healing none of us have that power that power is in the Holy Spirit but all of us are to be in that spirit The Holy Spirit came so that you could witness, so that you could pray healing and have it done. The Holy Spirit came so that you could be free and so that you could declare freedom to others. Christ said, I give you the keys of the kingdom. Christ said, if you pray it on earth, it'll be done in heaven because what you're praying on earth has already been done in heaven. And the reason you know that is because you are overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. Yes. There is no limit to how Christ-like you can become. But that is not to make anybody's head inflate or anybody's ego to get outsized because Christ is humble. Because Christ didn't come to make himself grandiose. He came to point us to God. You say, but Christ is God. Yes, but as a human being, he's showing us how a human being can be submitted to God. God himself showed us how to trust him. And in the process, he saved us. But for what? So that we could keep on living as though it never happened? No. So that he could live in us. If you want to live with him eternally, you don't have to wait until you're dead. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So turn from the things that turn you away from God and turn towards God and say, let it be. Will you just lift your hands to the Lord right now and lift up to him whatever it is that is the thing between you and him. Whatever that thing is, the fear, the anxiety, the resentment, the hurt, the pain, the shame, the embarrassment, the confusion, the doubt, lift it up to him and say, take this away from me, Lord. Remove from my life the things that are an obstacle to you and fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your will. Let it be done unto me according to your will. Will you say that? Let it be done unto me according to your will. And now it shall be done unto you according to your faith. Amen. Now listen, the angel says to Mary, here's a sign for you that this is true. She herself is a sign to the world that this is true. But even Mary gets a sign, and it's Elizabeth. Your cousin Elizabeth, that old woman, is bearing a child. Because when God says something, 
It happens. No word of God will ever fail. And Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be done to me just as you've said. And then the angel departed. To be a follower of Christ is to recognize that Jesus is the master and we are the servant. We need to know God's way. It's guidance from the master. How can you possibly be obedient if you don't know what God is calling you to do? So seek God's way. There's some verses here on the screen and in your uh, bulletin that correspond these statements, these lessons, to the particular section of scripture that I'm looking at. And I'll let you look at that this week as you read through this text, which I invite you to do. I encourage you to do. Read it on your own. And look at the ways in which these people sought God's way, believed God's word, even when it was an unbelievable kind of thing, and accepted God's will even when it called them to do things that were very challenging, that were frightening, that put them at risk, that subjected them to scrutiny or perhaps even scorn from the people around them. But they were willing for all of those things to be because they knew that God had spoken to him, them and they believed it. Now, particularly when you are facing the hurry of the world, the things and the pressures of the flesh, the worry of the ways of the flesh in the nature of this world, when in this season you're in that kind of hurry and you're finding yourself compromised in faith and compromised in patience and feeling anxiety and maybe it's reflecting in not very nice behavior or not very nice attitudes, take that opportunity to remind yourself and say to the Lord, I'm your servant let your peace and patience be in me. Slow down. Amen. Listen for God. And then trust his timing. When that kind of hurry is coming from the outside and it's not from God, when that kind of hurry is from anxiety and worry or the expectations and demands of people that aren't God, then what we need to recognize is the peace of the Lord will guide us, not the sense of anxiety or stress. We won't be driven by God in a way in which he as a taskmaster comes and whips us through fear. That's the enemy. But instead we'll be led by God who as the good shepherd guides us with his peace and his grace. And sometimes what he will say is, I want you to be patient and wait. And sometimes what he will say is, I want you to go now. So listen for the voice of the Lord and trust his timing. If you want to go and he wants you to wait, wait. If you want to wait and he tells you to go, go. Do what the Lord tells you to do, but show grace to others, just as God shows grace to you. And remember, the last will be first. So in the many lines that you encounter in this season, don't be afraid to let other people go before you. There's a reward waiting for you when you think of others before yourself. Remember that Christmas is a time when we especially are reminded of how we should be living all year long, which is think of others before yourself. Let somebody else have that first piece of the lechon. <laughs> or the last. Maybe you like the bulit. I don't know. On the way, sometimes God tells us to get going on the way. In fact, when the angel said to Mary, your cousin Elizabeth is pregnant, and in fact, she's already six months into that pregnancy, Mary immediately got on the road to Elizabeth. She hurried to where Elizabeth was, not because she was worried, but because she was eager, because she had heard from the Lord 
that it's the time to go. And also, because if she waited, it would be too late to have that encounter that we already looked at. When these two pregnant women encounter each other and experience a building up of the faith because they each witness to the other about what God is doing in their entire situation. That's one of the things that's wonderful about gathering together as the family of faith. You share what God is doing in you. Someone else shares about what God is doing in them. Someone else says, I see what God is doing in you. Or you may be the one that shares and says, I see what God is doing in you. And in this way, we encourage one another in the faith. We build one another up in the faith. And we share prophetically by the Spirit with one another. It's a good thing. So make time to get on the way to be with the people of God. There's another instance, though, in which there is a demand on Mary and Joseph to get on the way, and everybody else is on the way, too. And if that doesn't feel like Christmas season, I don't know what does. When every place is jammed and crammed, and it feels like everybody's trying to go to the same place that you're going and trying to get through the same line, well, that's exactly the kind of experience that Mary and Joseph had when Caesar Augustus decreed that everybody in the Roman Empire had to go back to the place of their ancestral birth. This is why they had to go to Bethlehem. They're both descendants of David. David was the boy of Bethlehem. And so even though Mary is close to the end of her pregnancy, they have no choice. I'm sure they would not have chosen to go to Bethlehem at that time, in that season, with her in that condition. And an angel didn't come to them and say, you have to do this. The government told them they had to do this. And this wasn't a good government. It was a wicked government. It wasn't even from their nation. They were oppressed. They were colonized, if you will, by the Roman Empire. And the Roman rulers couldn't care less about the inconvenience that it created for the people. In fact, the whole reason that they had to be uh, taken account and have a census was so they could be more heavily taxed. And they were already heavily taxed. Can you imagine the response that comes from this when you have a corrupt government that is operating um, without the authority that you would acknowledge and demanding things of you that puts you at, your, at risk, maybe your family at risk, and everybody else has to do it at the same time, so there's going to be very little opportunity for you to even do it well. You don't have very much money, and it's also that they can take more of that money away from you. Now, what kind of attitude would most of us have in that situation? But Mary and Joseph are submitted to the authorities that are over them. And I think the implication is, and the scripture itself calls us to this attitude, they trust that even if those authorities over them aren't fully righteous, God is over those authorities. And so by doing what they are required to do by law, so far as it does not, does not violate the will of God, they will be submitted to those rulers. And in fact, not only does it not violate the will of God, but in a way in which they may not have realized, it is fulfilling the will of God. Now get this, this is extraordinary. God is using an unrighteous, uncaring government that is doing something that seems to be the worst timing ever, and he's using it to make Christmas. He's using it to bring salvation into the world. He's using the bad thing to make something better come forth. Because God can work all things together for the good of those who are submitted to him. And no word of God will fail. And God said, my son will be born in Bethlehem. Amen. Because my son will rule on the throne of David. Because my son is your savior. Amen. And his kingdom will never end. So they go from Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem. As I mentioned, this is kind of like walking from here to almost to Bakersfield. Yeah. 
And then doing that in your third trimester as a pregnant woman. Woo! But they go. And everybody else is on the road too. The roads are crowded. The inns are full. There's nowhere to stay. There's hardly any available food. There's hardly water for the animals that people are riding on, let alone the people on the road. Not many people are in a good mood because who wants to be doing this? In fact, probably many people on the road are complaining all day long. When is God going to do something about this? Why don't we rise up and fight these Romans? How dare they do this to us? You know they're just going to tax us all the more. There must have been all kinds of negativity going on because that's the way people are. But Mary and Joseph are going with a faithful expectation that even as they have to hurry to get this done, there's a patience of their faith in the midst of that hurry. And while they're there, the time came. Notice the language of the text here. The time came. While they were in the midst of following faithfully in the submission to the authority that God had put over them, God brought forth the thing that he had planned. There's a word for you and I in this season. If you want to receive this word, it's an open invitation. Because what God is saying here is, if you trust me, I'll make sure that everything happens right on time in your life. But you've got to trust me. You've got to submit to me, even if that means submitting to people that are over you that aren't good, that aren't honest, that aren't treating you well. But trust me. And when you trust me, my greater authority will bring greater blessing into your life. And not only that, but the blessing in your life will become a blessing to others. So the baby is born and she places him in a manger because there wasn't even a place for them to stay. But God made a place. There was no room in the inn, but God brought them to an innkeeper who said, I can't put you in my house. The house is full. But if you're willing, you can be in this cave where we keep the livestock. And actually, it'd be a warm, dry place and safe. So God provided. There was even a manger that with a bit of hay could be a perfect bedding place for a newborn child. On the way, there may be things that look bad. There may be people that harass. There may be problems that come to us, even from the authorities over us and around us. But the scripture says, as much as is possible, and there is a limit on this, and the limit is to the degree that you do not have to violate or defy God. Never obey an authority that causes you to come into direct conflict with the demands and commands of Scripture. But as much as is possible, submit to the earthly authorities that God puts over you. Even if you don't agree with them, even if you didn't vote for them, make your vote and vote as well as you can, but submit to the authorities that are over you as unto the Lord. And the Lord who sees will honor you and he will protect you. And whatever he allows to come on the way of your submission, trust in God's authority. Trust in God's timing. Allow God to be the one who provides for you. If there seems to be no provision, God will make a way where there seems to be no way. God will make a space where there seems to be no space. And wouldn't it be wonderful if the place where there was no space in your life and God provided the miracle became a testimony of God's goodness so that 2,000 years later people were still talking about when you had nothing and God gave you everything because you trusted him? That's the kind of life we want to live. And if you think no one will ever be talking about my trust in God 2,000 years from now, you don't know that. 
And I'll tell you something else. We are a part of an eternal kingdom. We're all going to be talking forever about what God did in our lives. So throw your life open to him so you'll have lots to celebrate in the kingdom to come. And better yet, you'll have lots to celebrate even here and now. Because even if there's hardship, even if you're persecuted, you'll have peace. Because you know that you're following God. And God is good no matter what happens. Even in the midst of the most crowded places, the worst attitudes, the worst circumstances, God is in charge. Let him guide your way. Trust him. Now, there are those times when God says, go and go now. In fact, this morning in my devotions, which were not related to this passage, I came across uh, a verse that I did not even remember. It's out of Acts chapter 22, so it's not in the slides or the outline, but it's where the Apostle Paul is sharing with the people in Jerusalem about how God brought him into the faith, that Paul had an encounter with the, the uh, resurrected Christ after the ascension. And in that, Paul became a believer in Jesus. Paul had not been a believer in Jesus before. In fact, he was a persecutor of Christians. He tried to get them arrested, he tried to get them executed. But then Jesus came and said, actually, you're supposed to be following me, not going the other way. I want you to go my way, not the way you've been going. And Paul basically said, let it be. I'll follow you. And then Paul says in Acts chapter 22, talking about this, the Lord said to him, hurry, go out of Jerusalem. So Paul had been on the way to Damascus and had to go back to Jerusalem when he got saved. And then the Lord said to him, hurry and get out of Jerusalem because no one here is going to listen to you. And I'm going to use you as a witness. So immediately in Paul's life, not only was there a huge turnaround, but then there was God saying, I want you to do something dramatically different and I want you to do it now, right away. It matters that you do it now. You and I don't always understand why God says, stop, wait, you need to hold off. Or when God says, go, now, you need to do it now. We don't always understand, and he doesn't always tell us. He doesn't always want to tell us. Sometimes he does. But sometimes it's simply that you know that God is calling you. Now, you don't want to go loopy in listening for the Lord. You need his word. Because God's always going to speak in a way that's consistent with the scripture. But here in the scripture, we see there are times where God says, go and go now. The time is right. The moment is ripe. You need to do it now. Here were shepherds laying out in the fields watching their flocks at night when Mary gave birth to Jesus. And they had no idea what was going on. They had no idea where uh, the Messiah, that the Messiah was going to be born that night and near them. Uh, they had no expectation. They were just living life. They were just doing their normal routine, which at that time of year was typical for them to be out in the fields so that they could keep the flock together at night, so they could protect that flock of sheep from any predators that might come along. And in the midst of that dark night, all of a sudden, a bright light. The glory of the Lord shines around an angel of the Lord. And of course, these shepherds, like Zechariah in the temple, like Mary uh, listening to the word of Gabriel, they're terrified because they don't know what's going on and they didn't expect it. And the power and might of God is a glorious thing that when the window to that reality gets opened in our world, it can be frightening. 
But the angel, once again, brings comfort, good tidings, great joy. We're not here to scare you. We're here to give you good news, gospel message from God. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born. And not just a savior born generically, your savior has been born. He's been born for you. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Us, we receive the savior. Now, this is the Messiah, the Lord, and here's the sign. He's a baby. That must have been a surprise because, I mean, the first thing they had to be thinking was some military general, some war hero, some guy riding in on the horse with a sword ready to finally fight against these horrible Romans and the wicked government. But he's a baby. And he's not even in the hospital. Of course, they didn't really have a community hospital at that time. The baby would be born at home, but he's not at home. He's not in an inn. He's not with relatives. He's with animals in a stable. He's lying in a manger where animals eat. And then the great company of the heavenly host of angels appear, and they sing the Gloria in excelsis Deo, glory to God in the highest heaven, and here on earth, peace. Let the Holy Spirit overshadow the earth with his peace, because the Messiah has come. And then the angels leave, and the shepherds say, Wow, tomorrow morning we've got to go over there and check it out. Or I don't know, I have to feed this flock. Maybe tomorrow. No. Now, in the middle of the night, let's go now. Why? Because this is news like no other. This is not something you wait about. But this evidence is something. They believed. Well, it's a pretty remarkable thing. A lot of people would say, well, if I saw an angel and then a whole sky full of angels, I would believe. Maybe you would. But guess what? How many people would believe you? You might be in a bit more of a pickle than you realize. But these shepherds, they're not concerned with convincing anyone else. They want to submit to the story that's been told to them. They want to submit to the call of the Lord. They want to go in a hurry right now to find this child that has been told about to us. And so they do. They find Mary and Joseph. How many stables did they have to go to before they found one? And what would the people in the stables have thought? We're looking for a couple that just had a baby. Why? Why are all these shepherds coming to do this? But they risk that ridicule. They even have to leave their flock. But they're going to the Lord. The shepherds, who are a reminder to us that this child that has been born is the good shepherd. And when they saw him, they believed in him. And we know that they did because they spread the word. Will you say that? Spread the word. See what a change comes. Just like Paul who encountered Christ on the road to Damascus, so these shepherds who encountered Christ in the stable of Bethlehem immediately realize our main life purpose in this moment is to be a witness, to share the truth, to tell people about the arrival of this Christ. And they did that. They go all over the countryside telling people, the Messiah has been born. He was born a baby in Bethlehem. And everybody who heard it was amazed because as, a, as astonishing as their story was, there was the conviction of truth in them. And it was evident to people that these men had been changed. And Mary was watching also. And Mary, she didn't know probably what to make of all of this, except she knew what the Lord had said to her, and now she knew what the Lord had done. When the time came for her 
birth to be uh, almost there. Suddenly the government told them they had to do something. And maybe Mary prayed, Lord, help us. What do we do? And maybe the Lord said, just trust. And so they trusted and went the way. And on the way, all the crowds, all the people, nowhere to stay. But they prayed and the Lord showed them, here's a place. And then the people that come to that place, shepherds they've never met, who come barging into the stable and said, we saw angels. We heard that the Messiah was born. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Mary and Joseph, who had already heard, but you need the confirmation of the witness of others if you're going to persevere. Let the Lord speak to you through what he's doing in others because what happens in the lives of others reflects also in what God is doing in your life and let others know about what God is speaking to you. And in all of this, glorify and praise God. I want to say, PCF, and anyone willing and ready to follow in this pathway of discipleship in Jesus, let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem. I don't mean literally, although some of you just came back from Bethlehem. And in fact, I'd love for us to go to Bethlehem. And as God wills, so let it be. But what I mean is let's go in the spirit of the shepherds to the reality of the Lord. Let's come and worship him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Hear the call of God. If you're going to adore him, you've got to obey him. If you don't obey him, you don't adore him. So don't sing, oh, come let us adore him, and then disobey him. Do you disobey him? I disobey. There's times I disobey. I can be disobedient. I get my spankings from God sometimes. Sometimes he uses other people around me, and I'm grateful that he does. I don't make a habit of disobeying. I don't want to disobey, but we all struggle with that reality, that there's times where we say the thing we shouldn't have said, or we give place to the spirit or attitude that we shouldn't, or we look at something that we shouldn't, or we harbor some feeling or unforgiveness, or we excuse something that we do when we know that really we're accountable for it and it's not right. We struggle with those things. I hope that there's some amount of agreement in the room. Otherwise, I really am the worst sinner. Well, I'm sure I am. We're all the worst sinner in the world to ourselves because no one knows our sin better than we do except one, and that's Jesus. He knows even more about your sin than you do. But you know what? Obedience comes from him. What we can do is say, I want to obey. Help me to obey. Let it be done to me according to your will. And when the Lord says, okay, then do this or don't do that, we need to do it or not do it because we have the power to obey in him. So we can't come to God and say, well, I wanted to and I tried to, but I couldn't because what God will say is, I had the power available for you to do it. All you had to do was ask me. And I showed you the steps that you could take. I showed you the counselor you could visit. I gave you the pastor you could talk to. I had that friend that was praying for you. I spoke to your heart in that moment. I had the word of the Bible available to you as it sat on the shelf. Everything that you need for good and godly living is free and available to you. So let us go. Read the word. Seek the Lord. Hear the call, heed the call, share the call. The power of Jesus is ready to be born in you this Christmas season and ready to shine through you in everything of your life. The whole legacy of your life can be one 
in which people are drawn to Christ. And of the many things that can happen in this world, nothing will be more precious than a life lived for the Lord and to share him with the world. Nothing will be a greater treasure to you in heaven than him, but what Jesus celebrates most is when people are saved. So become a witness for the Lord, not just in what you say, but in who you are. Let him be him in you. Let it be and let us go on his way according to his word. It may surprise us. It may cause us fear. But it's good if it's from God. So trust God and share his good news. Here's the summation. Hurry happens. It's part of our world. It's part of our flesh, and sometimes it's part of the will of the Lord. We need to discern what kind of hurry is happening in us. If it's hurry from worry, submit the worry to the Lord and wait upon him. If it's urgency from God, then don't waste time. Do today what he shows you to do today. In any instance, in every instance, follow God's guidance. Joseph and Mary obeyed the authorities, even though doing so created hardship for them, but they were hastening with patience to the place that, as it turns out, God had prepared for them. The shepherds were afraid, but they didn't let fear cloud their capacity to hear and heed the good news of God. And in fact, because they listened and obeyed, because they submitted and saw, they were able to witness and share. They followed God's word, and they shared God's word. Now you and I, let us go and do likewise. And the Lord will make Christmas a lifestyle for you. The Lord will make resurrection light shine through you. And the Lord will guide your way at every time, in every season, in every hurry, according to his peace, his patience, and his purpose. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are so good. And we thank you that you call out to us. And we acknowledge, Lord, that often we are stiff-necked, hard-hearted, that we turn deaf ears to you because we prefer our own ways. Forgive us, Lord, for this attitude. In fact, we know that you have forgiven us. And so help us, Lord, in that spirit of forgiveness that we have received from you to also engage in the spirit of obedience. We turn our hearts and minds to you. We commit our souls to you. Our spirits are willing because of you. Our flesh is weak because of us and because of the enemy in this world. But you are greater. You are stronger. You make us more than conquerors. We submit our flesh to you, Lord. And we ask that you would crucify our flesh, our wicked ways, our wayward ways, our disobedient, worrying ways, and that you would fill us instead with your spirit, that our spirit would be filled with yours and that in your spirit we would live. And Lord, I pray for one that's struggling right now. I pray for one that is hearing this message and feeling the challenge. Maybe it's because I sense there's a variety of people out there for whom this is a real word of the Lord. Somebody's turned away from God. They knew you before, Lord, and they trusted in you and they believed in you and some things went wrong in their life. Some of it was what they did. Some of it was what others did. Some of it was just they lost, they lost trust in you because they were unhappy with what they saw you doing or at least what they perceived you to do. 
And right now, you're tugging at their heart, and they know it. And they're filled with emotion right now, but they're afraid. They're afraid. They're afraid that they're not really going to turn back to you. They're afraid that they're going to fall away again. They're afraid that they don't really want to trust you. And right now, Lord, I pray that you would cancel the spirit of fear that is not of them, but is of the enemy. Silence the voice of the enemy. And liberate them from those chains of fear by your love. Let your love overshadow them right now, Lord, that they would know that there is forgiveness in you, not condemnation, that you willingly, openly receive them back, and that also you knew all along they'd come back, and you're bringing them back with a fullness of joy and a new, fresh commitment, and the way forward will be better than what was behind. Now, if that's you, friend, you've got to believe it. You've got to trust and say, let it be. So just say that in your spirit to the Lord right now. Say, I agree. Say, I give myself to you. Someone else out there, it's, you've never really trusted in the Lord. And even now, you're, you're confused because you're thinking, something's going on in me and I don't understand it. I don't know why this message is affecting me. I don't believe this stuff. I don't even agree with this stuff. What's going on? And what's going on is Jesus is pounding on the door of your prison because you're in a prison. And he's saying, I want to set you free, but I can't explain everything to you right now because you don't get it, but I want to get you. Will you give yourself to me? So, Lord, I pray once again that you would turn the key in that door, that you would unlock what the enemy has locked, that you would break open that which has been held shut by things of the flesh and lies of the world. And that you would overshadow that one in that situation with your love. And friend, if that's you, you need to put your faith in Jesus. And you will experience something better than you've ever experienced before. Now is the time. Don't wait. Take the risk. Step out under the water. And let him hold you up in his love. I pray, Lord, that anyone coming to you right now would experience the fullness of joy that comes in salvation lives. That you would connect them, Lord, with your body and your word and grow them. And if you need help with that and you're here in Los Angeles or you can get here to Los Angeles, we are here to help you with that. We want you to know the Lord. It's not about us trying to grow an organization. It's about us wanting to show you Christ. If you need to learn more about him and his word, come be a part of the body. You can't learn alone. You weren't saved alone. You're being brought into a family that loves you. Finally, for those of us that are walking with the Lord and trusting in the Lord, but we experience the challenges of life and our flesh, the Lord is saying to us, you have an opportunity to make a commitment, fresh commitment today too. Trust in me. And put me first. The Lord is saying to many of us, you know, you've been too focused on other things. You're, you're too focused on your work. You're, you're too focused on your, your kids or your parents. You might say, but those are good things. And the Lord's saying, I'm not saying they're bad. I'm saying I come first. You're too focused and concerned about your weight or your health or your heart rate. You're too worried about what the doctor says, but you're not listening to what I say. It's not that I don't want you to be concerned about your health or your weight or the doctor. It's that I come first, says the Lord. There are some that every time you look at the bank account, 
your faith flees. And the Lord says, don't you know that I can fill that up? Don't you know that if you follow me and do what I tell you to do and give the way that I tell you to give, I'm going to give back to you even more? Don't you know that I provide? Don't look at what's available in the inn. Look in me at what's available in me because I can supply all of your needs and the riches of Christ Jesus make that evident. Some are saying, Lord, I want to be closer to you, but I just struggle with it. And the, the Lord Jesus is saying to you right now, give your struggle to me. Ask me for help. And I will give you a fresh fire of love from me and passion for my word and passion for prayer and passion for witness. And I will give you the strength to patiently persevere and to overcome and to the one who overcomes, I will give you of the hidden fruit. I will give you a new name and a new life. I will make you one and one with me. I will give you a crown. And it will never be taken from you. The one who perseveres will overcome. The one who believes, it will be done to them according to my word, according to their faith, according to the Lord. So let it be, Lord, let it be. And we rejoice in you today. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Now we go forth from this place, but don't just keep living the life of yesterday. Live the life of the Lord today and tomorrow and the next day until the Lord comes back. Let us go. Let us live in him. Amen. Live in the love and the power of the Lord this week and always in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.